Hey boys and girls, how's it going? Josh Belcher, your host of Josh Belcher's Uncharted Podcast. Had a really rough week here in my beloved state of Tennessee, my beloved Nashville, music city capital of the world. A devastating tornado ripped through Nashville and Middle Tennessee and it left many businesses, homes, and neighborhoods devastated. The damages to our communities is severe, leaving many injured, homeless, and almost 50,000 people without power. Now we've made a lot of progression, a lot of people volunteering their times and services, and slowly but surely we'll be putting Nashville back together. President even came and assessed some of the damage. A lot of people on social media that are friends of mine, thank God I didn't know anyone uh, that uh, was taken. Not you know, not that that doesn't discredit it. You know, my heart and thoughts and prayers are with all those people, but nobody that I knew personally um, lost their lives. So I was thankful to God for that. Um, but uh, one thing that's really great is that the website do615.com, that's do615.com, has a page set up. It's really beautifully done um, that, that uh, tells you how to help, how to donate, and volunteer your time. Uh, organizations like Hands On Nashville, uh, there's links for that. A Community Resource Center, Middle Tennessee Emergency Response Fund, West Nashville Dream Center, uh, the Meridian at the Hermitage, just so on and so on. Uh, Operation Barbecue Relief, American Red Cross, um, just a list, a plethora, and they update it constantly of places and uh, and areas and, and ways that you can help uh, Nashville after this tornado. Uh, one of the very moving uh, things that uh, really kept me uh, inspired uh, through all the heartache was the I Believe in Nashville sign next to the Basement East that is still standing. Uh, the Basement East took a hit, totally demolished it. have seen some great uh, concerts there, a wonderful venue in Nashville. It will be rebuilt. Nashville strong. Uh, you know, everything is going to be okay. But if you were affected, anything I can do to help you, hit me up. Um, you know, and I'll do the best I can. Uh, my hearts and prayers is with everybody in my beloved Middle Tennessee, as it was a heartbreaking devastation. But everybody's coming together and helping, and they've pledged their hearts and hands, and it's a really beautiful thing. It's one thing I'm always proud of my state. That's why they call us the volunteer state, because we show up and do what we have to do to help our fellow brother and, and sisters. So um, with that being said, we'll get on with the podcast. Um, a lot of great interviews this week. Very proud of all my guests. I have in Nashville, a lightweight champion, local boxer, Atomic Atala Hassan. Great kid. Uh, he's going to put Nashville on the map. Uh, he's one of the pride of the 615 as far as boxing goes. Really cool to get to talk with him. Great, great young man. Uh, proud that he's my friend. He's got some dangerous hands, so you got to look out for him. Uh, go to Instagram if you want to, and be a fan. Follow his career. He's uh, he's a young fellow coming up in the ranks, kicking everybody's behind, and pretty soon he'll be a household name. And I'm fortunate enough that I get to talk to him way back when. Proud to call him my friend. We've also got Mike Madison, one of the lead vocalists of the Tedeschi Trucks Band. It's got a new solo album called Afterglow that's dropping March 20th. Great album, great interview, a very brilliant musician with a great body of work. And this new contribution is phenomenal. So check that out wherever you get music. Um, also spoke with Paul Harris, comedian, musician, uh, a.k.a. Digger Cleverly of the Bluegrass Power Group, The Cleverlies. Um, they're doing a Puckett's tour, the Puckett's restaurants right now here uh, in and out through Nashville. There's about 12 of them. They'll be stopping at Puckett's in downtown Franklin 
on Wednesday, March 11th. They're making a stop in downtown Columbia, Tennessee at Puckett's, uh, where I reside, Thursday, March 12th. So if you're interested in checking them out, getting on board and seeing them in concert, go to thecleverleys.com and uh, get you some tickets. Uh, a really, really good uh, interview there as well. And uh, like I said, with the devastation and everything, uh, I'm thankful uh, to God for everyone I know being safe and accounted for and still standing because things can be replaced. Life cannot and we must keep pursuing in my heart. Thoughts and prayers just go out with everybody at this devastating time. Nothing hurts my heart more than to see my fellow man uh, falling and hurting. So hopefully that uh, everything's on the up and up and getting better day by day, one step at a time. So that's really, really great. Uh, with that being said, I want to thank you for listening to the podcast. Uh, every day uh, or every week I say it, but I really mean it. Um, a guy like me has to have something to keep his mind occupied. And I truly love from the bottom of my heart podcasting. I love it is an honor to get to do it. I'm thankful I have an outlet that allows me to do it and these wonderful people taking the time to talk to me and sharing their talents and uh, and giving me knowledge and just taking the time to be on here uh, you could be doing anything you're listening to me and I really do appreciate it uh, I don't do it for money or fame or fortune I do it because it's something that I love within my heart and soul uh, ever since I was in my early 20s and knew what I really wanted to be in life uh, my goal in my brain is to be like Jimmy Fallon, Conan O'Brien, David Letterman uh, you know, Jay Leno, I just want to host a Tonight Show format in Nashville. Uh, you know, God willing, it may happen. Uh, if not, I'm perfectly happy with my little podcast. And I just want to say thank you again for listening to it. And uh, I'll quit running my mouth now. And we'll get on with the Josh Belcher Uncharted podcast. This is the big 40. Lordy, lordy, we've turned 40. Made it 40 weeks. So away we go. Thanks, guys. Okay, next up on the podcast is a Nashville, Tennessee boxing lightweight champion. He's a friend of mine. I'm very proud of this young fellow. He goes by the name Atomic. That would be Atomic Atala Hassan. Uh, You can go to Instagram to support him as he is putting Nashville boxing on the map. One of the boxers that is uh, the pride of the 615. That interview is right here on Josh Belcher Uncharted Podcast. Tell us a little bit about this uh, tournament you went and, and claimed the uh, championship prize here not too long ago, please. Uh, yeah, we went to the Sugarbird in Biloxi, in Biloxi, Mississippi. Uh huh. Um. Yeah, so it was a two-day event. I got a buy the first day, and the guy I fought. He won the first night, so he beat the the first guy, and I fought him the second night, and uh. Yeah, grounded it out. One forty one division. Uh-huh. Uh won that belt. That's awesome, man. That's great. How many how many rounds did you go through or whatever? We did three three minute rounds. Oh, right on. Yeah. Man, that is awesome. So uh so uh, was it like Because uh, 'cause I'm fairly new to boxing, I like it and I'm trying to learn, but like was it uh did you have to go to the cards or whatever or, or did you just just lay them out? Oh no, I didn't. I didn't lay him out. Um, amateur <laughs> bouts, amateur bouts are three minutes, you know. So okay. Um, so it's a, but it's only three rounds, you know. So 
you got to grind, yeah. but you got to pace yourself as well, you know? So, oh, absolutely. Yeah, first round, first round was, was tough, you know, had to break it in. And then second round, I switched gears. And third round, I just gave it everything I had left in the tank, you know? I hear you. Just let him have it. That's awesome. Now, um, how long have you been in, in, in the boxing? Like, when did you get started doing this? I started at 11. Wow, man. Good. Yeah, so it's been about six years, seven years. Yeah, and that's that's great. I mean, you gotta have. I mean, that's that's a long time now. You know, I saw your dad. He's uh, he's really involved in your life and everything. Now, did he, did you get this love for it from him? Was he a boxer? Is he a boxer now, or or what? What's he? Uh, does he do anything like that? Is he uh, just in your corner or, or whatever? No, it's it's funny because um <laughs> he didn't get into boxing. <laughs> He didn't get into boxing until I got into boxing, you know. So um, yeah. he played football back in the day. He never boxed, you know. So he played uh-huh. football, but he's a therapist, you know. He has a, yeah. a, a master's in psychology. So wow. him being my coach as well as my dad, you know, it plays a, a huge role in it. He's a, um, he's the brains of the operation, you know. Um, what That's happened it. was I was when I was little, I think I was like eight, seven or eight, and uh, we were in Taekwondo, me and my brother, me and my big brother, and um, – you know, I was like a, a green belt or something like that. You know, uh-huh. one of the like first first two or three belts. Um, but it, so I was facing guys who were like brown belts and blue belts, and you know, every rank is higher than me. And so after we had, you know, we had this like tournament or whatever, and I got a first place trophy and a third place trophy. And um, afterwards, my dad would be like, "Hey man, you want to hit the mitts or whatever? You know, let's spar a little bit." You know, and I didn't know why. I didn't understand it until, you know, years down the line when he was like, yeah, I noticed that you could box really well because of, you know, Taekwondo. Yeah. I had never known. So he just thought I had, like, a natural thing. And him being a, the brains behind it, the psychologist, you know, and the therapist, he, you know, just guided me into it without me really knowing what it was about, you know. So it was just fun at first. Yeah, so he, he just saw a talent uh, from early on and just, just honed the skill. That's cool. At least he knew you know, back in the day that you had the had the talent for it, and, and you know, obviously he's right because you're, uh, you know, you're doing the thing. That's awesome, man. We're proud of you. Uh, so brains and brawn, like I said, uh, I, I'm assuming, like from you know, from when I watch everything, it's it's not just sitting there and punching, but it's it's it's, it's a mental thing. It's it's almost like like a chess match or something, but you know, you're using your fist as crazy as that right. sounds because it's like it's like give and take and positioning and blows and. And everything from you know holding your guard, all that. It's just it's really a beautiful thing. It's uh, you know the whole It's like it's like speed test. You know, it's like um <laughs> you gotta think, you gotta be quick with it, but you also have to you gotta be strategic with it. You know, you gotta be you you can't just be um a thinking man. A thinking man is a dead man in the sport in the combat sport. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, you gotta you gotta think in training so that. My yeah. pop said you got to think in training so that when the actual things come, it can just be reflex, second nature. That's too cool. Now, what <clears> – now, um, like uh, with, uh, you know, this, the, the, the matches I saw with, with Caleb and everything, it seems like <clears throat> they take a lengthy break in between, uh, you know, opponents and everything. Like uh, how long do you train each time you box? Like after this last match, how long do you go before you, you do another one? Uh, and the amateurs and the professionals is different. Okay. Um, so 
and the amateurs, you know, they have like they have a, a three day tournament, you know, where you uh-huh. register the first day, then you fight one night, you win, you fight the next night. You know, no professionals does does that. You know, they yeah. train, they grind, because there's no seasons in boxing. You know, so uh-huh. they train, they train, they set a date, they work towards that date. Afterwards, based on the person and the contract, they get to decide, you know, when to start camp, and you know, they get to plan things. Um, and amateurs. It's a continuous thing, you know. It's like a, a spur. It's a spur of the moment type of thing. Uh, I got you. Okay, yeah, so like uh, every yeah. weekend, they're like every Saturday, so you can fight every week or you can fight every month. You know, it's up to the person, really. Oh, I got you. So, so depending on the league, like, uh, you, like where you're at right now, it's kind of like ranking the experience so you can get to the another, uh, the next level. Is that kind of like what it is? Yeah. Like, like yeah, from yeah. The next level is the nationals. You know that's that's the plan. Uh huh. Yeah, you want to go? You going to box for the Olympics, right? Team USA. Yeah, I'm trying to get yeah. Team USA and then Team USA to the Olympics. That's it, man. That's awesome. I think you got it. I really do. And uh, what, what is your what is your division? Your your weight class, whatever, just so I get it right. One thirty-eight and one forty-one. And that is that. Um, is that? What do they call that? Welterweight, flyweight, what? Uh, it's lightweight. Lightweight, okay. Because I know, uh, you know, there's all kind of <laughs> weight classes. I'm trying to yeah, learn them all. It's, yeah, it's crazy. Now, um, I remember, you know, when we were speaking briefly out there at uh, Bridgestone Arena. The one kid, the the pride of the six one five. Did you say you you uh, you uh, train with him every once in a while? I can't even remember his name. Austin Dulé. Yeah. 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 I saw Austin Dulé. Um. We we're good friends with them. Uh, sparred Ty Tomlin, the other guy who fought. Uh, huh. There's another guy who was supposed to fight that night, Madel Sando. Yeah. I sparred him. Uh, I think yeah, I think yeah, but I sparred all those guys. So um, yeah. yeah, I've been known him for a minute. That's cool, man. If you if you're sparring with guys that are in bouts like that, I mean, it won't be a matter of time to, because uh, Caleb said in his press conference that he'd have. There's a lot of good natural fighters that you have on the next one, so that means probably you'll be on the next one, and I imagine. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. You know, it's not a, it's not like a huge difference. The best, the best amateurs, uh-huh. um, are close or on par to the, um, you know, to the to the professionals. You know, so skill wise, skill wise, you know, it's similar. It's very close. Uh huh. Yeah, that's awesome. I, and like I said, I want to come. Uh, catch a match of yours like uh, when's your next one are you going to be doing close to like Middle Tennessee or do you have any time soon? Uh, we're just waiting to see if I'm getting matched for Louisville this weekend. Um, mm-hmm. If not, then we'll find another date um, because I'm supposed to be going to Reno so for a, a qualifier March 28th. Oh, right on. Yeah, 20th, 28th. So we'll see how that goes. Hopefully I'll, be, I'll bring another belt back to y'all. Heck yeah, that's awesome, man. What, now, what is your nickname? Do you have a nickname like everybody? You know, we hear like uh, you know Caleb Sweethand and everything. Do you have your own nickname? Atomic. Atomic. There it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, tell them that that full name. It, it's an awesome name. I just didn't want to get it wrong. How, how do you say your full name? Atala Atomic yeah. Hassan. That's it. Tyler Atomic Hassan. I like that. That's really, really, really cool. What? Uh, and your <laughs> social media is like I said. I, I finally got a little bit with the game and got my own Instagram. If people want to check I you out, 
Yeah, is that where they find you out on Instagram? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram. Yeah. That's that's awesome. Yeah, I, I find like I said, I'm an old man. I, I'm late to the game. I just got a Facebook about six months ago, so I know that's really sad. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but, yeah, man, well that's that's really cool. Like you and your dad, like I said, uh, I'm uh, I'm a fan and I, I got you back and I can't wait to see your box. But is there anything else you wanna tell the is there anything else uh, you wanna tell these uh listeners I got about you before we, uh, I let you go? Uh, keep supporting six zero five. Uh, we pray for everybody that has yeah. uh, that got caught up in the storm. Uh, keep loving and supporting the six one five fighters: Austin, Caleb, uh, Ty, Tomlin, uh, my Del Sando. You know, um, yeah. fighting pride. You know, fighting pride. Six one five. You know. That's it. Yeah, you guys are definitely putting it on the map, man. Y'all gonna just keep making it bigger and bigger. Well, let me let me throw one more thing at you. What what is the worst place to get hit in your opinion? Because you you've taken legs and given legs. What hurts the most? What hurts the most? Yeah, uh, when you get popped. Where do you get? Yeah. Body shots. Really. Body body shots. Yeah. Or below. Well, that's just the, the scientific thing, you know, for boxers. But below the belt got to be the worst. You know, that's. Oh, without a doubt, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. But besides that, everything else is pretty much the same. I hear. I just meant like, like as far as like a clean, like a clean hit. Where, where would you get popped? Because, like me, I'm thinking like the bridge of your nose. Because if you get one good swing right there, I mean, it's it's all coming down. So, but yeah, I guess a body shot wouldn't feel too good either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah. It's not fun. Yeah. Liver shot. <laughs> I yeah, hear. It's easier to move your head than your body, you know. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Really enjoyed interviewing my next guest on the podcast. It would be Mike Madison, one of the lead vocalists of the Tedeschi Trucks Band. He has a new solo album, Afterglow, that will be coming out on March 20th. Just really great to talk with him, a brilliant man. Went to Harvard, not very boastful. Uh, great talent. The new effort, the solo album's got a little bit of everything, from country to Americana to rock and roll to roots to blues. It's got a little bit of something for everybody. Be sure to check that out wherever you buy music. Like I said, coming out March 20th. On with the interview. Here we go. Just wanted to tell you today that uh, it was sunny outside and it was kind of bittersweet because my beloved uh, city of Nashville has went through a tornado. And I just wanted to personally tell you that listening to Afterglow actually uh, changed my mood. It put me in a better mood. So thank you for creating this wonderful body of work. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. I'm all right. I'm glad it's a better mood because you know. Yeah. Just yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it was you know it's like it was bittersweet because it's like okay we're enjoying the sunshine but East Nashville has just been ravaged by a tornado. Yeah. And while I'm driving, trying to reflect, make sure everybody's okay, talking and you know so on. I I put this in you know to listen to it in more in depth and it's just uh, it's just a really great album and it's it's uh, very well put together and I just want to say thanks because it changed my whole demeanor. It just made me. You know, it just gave me a sense of calmness, peace, and uh, just really enjoying what what I've always loved in my heart, first and foremost, and that was music. And I just wish that I could have blared it for, you know, everybody to enjoy that was feeling the same way I was. Oh, so thank you for that. Thank you. That's really kind. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's it's uh, very easy to get. Uh, you know, I don't know, but I've been told New York City's mighty cold stuck in your head. I've been thinking about that over and over. So. <laughs> 
But anyway, uh, like I said, Afterglow, it's uh, the 20th, right? You're releasing it March 20th, is that correct? March 20th, correct, yes. That is awesome. It, it, it's great. Now, is this uh, – I, I was meaning to look it up, but I didn't get a chance. Is this your first solo uh, contribution to the cause? No, this is my second, actually. Um, okay. I did one, I think, about 2014, a while ago. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so this would be my second solo album. Um, and it just kind of, but both of them kind of end up being, uh, full of songs that kind of didn't make it into the other areas, uh, where sure. I work with my band, Scrapomatic, with the Tedeschi Trucks band, they kind of, you know, not all songs find a home. And, uh, my policy is, uh, if you don't record something, it kind of just vanishes. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I have enough. I have enough tunes that kind of fit that bill. Uh, I, try, I try to put an album together, so that's what this is. I hear you. Well, well, well done. Everything's really groovy. Um, I'm really digging. Uh, if I had to pick one, uh, Deadbeats really got me going. Um, but what really intrigued me, just from reading it, is the one about you know Charlie Idaho kills the um, uh, what's the uh, what's the where I'm looking for? He, he shoots the Mercy Man. Shoots the Mercy Man. That's it. It's got a great title, but the story behind it was just amazing. Could you elaborate some of that for some of the listeners? Because uh, I want I want to do it justice. I figured you could explain it better than I could. Sure. It's uh, you know there there's a couple different versions of the story out there. It's almost become kind of mythical, but it, but it really did happen. Uh, it's kind of like Staggerly or something like that. You know, like mm-hmm. it, it's taken on the, the story's taken on a life of its own, but a real story did take place. Um, uh, I read about it in the Alan Lomax book, uh, "The Land Where Blues Began." I think that was it. Um, and I, it's, I've, I've seen it in a couple other books. But there's a guy. Uh, his name is Charlie Idaho. He runs a levee camp on the Mississippi. This would probably have been in the 20s uh, when when there was all that flooding, and uh, 1920s. And uh, he was just kind of a hard customer, and he. Uh, had this camp he was in charge of with all of these men working, uh, you know, black men uh, yeah. and mules. And what the government would do is they would send out a mercy man. Uh, so this is before they had like a humane society or, you know, PETA or anything like that. <laughs> and uh, and they'd send out a mercy man to make sure that the mules weren't mistreated. Yeah. Uh, and of course, nobody really cared about the actual laborers there that was another issue <laughs> yeah but, that's uh, what uh, yeah not to interrupt you but that's what just threw me for a loop because you know obviously um, the rights of human beings and everything which is you know animals are important too but but reading you know kind of what you elaborated there i was like they're just very worried about the animals i mean you know they're not even checking on <laughs> you know the people there's no telling they're probably working 18 hours a day with little to eat probably not a lot of rest that's just insane yeah yeah well it was another 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 time, but another world for sure. And uh, and uh, what what ended up happening is, uh, I think the Mercy Man was finding uh, Charlie Idaho's camp uh, to be insufficiently kind to mules, and uh, so Charlie's response was he shot the Mercy Man. And um, oh, I always thought it was fascinating that you know mercy comes and uh i guess one option is you can just kill it <laughs> yeah I, I just that very concept i thought was um kind of fascinating so I, I wrote the song from a point of view of a of one of the laborers who's watching this go down watching this 
the, this guy Charlie, who runs the camp, is kind of just a, a madman. And then somebody from the government who's there to check on the mules, and then he shoots the mercy man. What would that look like to you if you were a uh, if you were just sitting there working? You know, um, I, I would imagine there would be complicated feelings. So that's kind of what I was trying to get at in that song. Yeah, uh, it's, it's it's very deep. Like it's it's an original. It was great. I mean, it's a breath of fresh air as far as some, you know, digging more into thought provoking music. And I was like, wow, what an incredible story. Like things that I, you know, I definitely couldn't imagine being, uh, you know, at the turn of the century there and, and what humans had to go through. Let alone. Um, you know, I guess back then, if you just had a, a quarrel with somebody, you could just put them down and it'd be over with. I mean, I don't really know. You, you could but, you could try, yeah. Yeah, I guess. You know, <laughs> that or dueling it out, I, I don't even know. But just uh, just that's that's a great song too. I mean, right off the top, it's it's very sharp. You did a really good job with that. Thank you. Did you did you write or co-write every song? Is this all you? Did you pen all this? I did. Well, let's see. I can't quite remember here. I, not all of them. Um, Afterglow, which is the title song, um, uh, Paul Olson, who I play with in Scrapomatic, uh, helped me put an introduction, kind of instrumental break on it. And then the chords on the chorus um, were something that uh, Derek Trucks was playing a couple of years ago. And, and I kind of had a melody that started running around in my head, and I asked him if it would be okay to, to use those chords. That That's the I don't know, but I've been told New York City is mighty cold. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and so in a weird way, we all kind of, accidentally collaborated with each other um and then um uh the other one is i I really miss you um i co-wrote that with kofi burbridge who was the keyboardist for the uh, tedeschi trucks band and Derek trucks band Mm -hmm. uh, who who passed away last year but he um he had this chord progression gosh this might have been 16 or 17 years ago Oh wow! And uh, and he says, "What can you do with this?" He's like, I, "I feel like it should be a song about missing somebody." And you're sitting there and you're looking at the phone, and you could just pick them up and call them, but you mm-hmm. don't. And I was like, yeah. "Oh, that's a great idea for a song." So <laughs> I um, I kind of just wrote the lyrics melody to that, and uh, I was like, "Is this kind of what you meant?" And he's like, "I like it." So yeah. um, we uh, we were just kind of sat on that song for years. It never really found a home in either of those bands. And when we started recording this about a year and a half ago, two years ago, I asked Kofi he'd be he'd be willing to play with us and 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 let's record that. And he was excited that it was kind of getting a second life of its own. So I'm I'm yeah. glad we did too. And it's it's it, it had the you know the the meaning is a little more poignant now that he's passed away too. Um, yeah. And I'm I'm glad that he got to play on it. Um, and it's funny too because it's it's a, a nice kind of R and B classic R and B sounding song. But the chords are actually really complicated, and half the fun was watching him try to teach it to Paul Olson and Dave Yoke, uh, and they they were like, "Wait a minute, what's a diminished diminished chord?" And he's just like, "Come on, you know." So uh, that was that was entertaining in and of itself. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, I read that. Uh, rest his soul. That's that's awesome. It's uh, you know put down uh you know like that for dexterity and everything but um i saw you know you used uh you know uh tedeschi trucks band players you got uh, you, paul from scrapomatics uh, it just seems like there there was a comfortability with the whole album and it definitely does not sound like it was recorded in a garage did i read that correctly this was recorded <laughs> like in a garage 
It was recorded in the our drummer's garage. Yeah, Falcon's garage. Wow, that's a heck of a garage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you have to not try. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just, it's effortless. It, you know, it sounds well put together. You can tell everybody everybody here is uh, you know accustomed with each other as far as the, the plan goes. Just very sharp. Was there a lot of takes involved? It seemed like all this was probably like one and done. Not really, yeah. I mean, we we left it kind of sloppy. Um, it started as just really an experiment. Uh, Paul had a bunch of stuff going on in his world and wasn't really able to to do much scrapmatic work, and and these songs were piling up. And so I just asked uh, Dave Yoke and and Falcon, which his real name is Tyler Greenwell, but everybody calls him Falcon, um, if they'd do some demoing with me. And so we started demoing these songs in his garage with just uh, me on acoustic guitar and Dave. Um, doing his electric thing and Falcon playing drums. And we're like, you know, it's not that bad. And, uh, you know, we've known each other for years and years and years. And so we're like, you know, let's just keep going. And uh, and we've, you know, over, we would just do it a day here, a day there over about six months. And then uh, we finally had enough tunes. And then we're like, uh, well, let's just, I, I think we could polish these up. So we brought in a great bass player, Frainer Joseph, who plays with a, a Atlanta band called Delta Moon. And he came in there, and I think it's a testament to Falcon especially, but also Dave, that, uh, you know, we didn't really need to track it with a bass, and they left enough room for a, a bass player to do their thing. Um, so we, we kind of just did it all higgledy-piggledy, upside down. Um, and that's kind of why it, 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 I think at its best moments it, it's very relaxed because it was really just a, a, a project for just pure fun. Yeah. Well, like I said, it, it sounds comfortable. It sounds like, um, you know, it's it's a it's a uh, you know like a masterpiece. Like it's it, it's done for the pure joy of music, but it's just got that uh, entertainment, uh, you know, uh, property in it. Like you said, like you get your R and B, you got some of your Americana. It's like it's all everything you want to enjoy and listen to is all blended in this one album. It just seems like everybody got together kind of like and just threw a bunch of stuff in a pot, and it just turned out just fantastic. So good good job on that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, hopefully it's more gumbo than, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. More gumbo than than a, than a free for all. <laughs> more yeah. gumbo than potluck. <laughs> exactly. Well said. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So let's get into. The, I had some things that really interested me. Uh, learning more about you. Like I said, I've had the privilege of seeing you perform several times. Every time you guys do your little residency, I try to show up to the mother church, and I've never not been blown away. Um, but, but like reading your stuff, are, are you going to do solo performances for Afterglow or are you going to do anything like that? I think what we're going to do is, um, we have a couple little, uh, runs lined up, um, touring runs in the Southeast. I think we're going to be in Nashville at the end of, uh, March, maybe March 29th, I think at city winery. And, nice. um, and then we'll do it at the end of April, we'll do about a week in the Northeast in New York, DC. And, uh, but it'll be, it'll be scrapomatic. So, um, with me, so we'll do, uh, it'll be Paul, Dave Yoke, uh, Falcon, and then Ted Pecchio, uh, who happens to be Falcon's brother-in-law, uh, and they both clocked many years with, uh, Colonel Bruce Hampton, and then, um, and then Ted and Dave and Falcon were in Susan Seski's band for about five years, so it, it's pretty incestuous, but, um, yeah. But really, Scrapomatic is us five, and we really haven't gone out as a as a band. We've gone out in twos and threes, but but not as a five piece. It's been years, so so we'll do a bunch of stuff off my solo records, and then about probably half of it'll be Scrapomatic stuff too. Cool, a little bit of it all. That's awesome. 
you know, that, yeah, that's going to be great. Uh, coming back to Nashville. City Winery, I was going to say, that'd be a perfect place for it. It'd be, it's a nice little venue over there. I really dig it. Yeah, they do um, a great job. Yeah, yeah. I, I really think they've got something good going there. Um, the next thing I had a question for you. Now, are you, were, are you born, are you from Minneapolis, Minnesota? I am, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is there any tie-ins? Did you have any run-ins or any collaborations with Prince? Just curious because, like, <laughs> Prince is the man. I didn't know. Well, I mean, when I was growing up, you know, it, it was just a fascinating time because Minneapolis was really, up until the mid-90s, it was really pretty I'm trying to pick a nice word. It was it was pretty provincial. It was it was a little bit of a backwater, <laughs> and 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 kind of isolated really. Um, yeah. And and so I think just weirdly, when I was a teenager, all these crazy different veins of music just started sprouting up, and then really took off in the in the wider American culture. So you know you had bands like the Replacements and Soul Asylum and Hooskerdo on the one hand, who yeah. kind of single handedly helped more punk rock into what would become indie, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're, everybody was into that. Was, these are our hometown heroes, and all of a sudden they're catching fire. And then the same thing with Prince. Um, it was happening at the exact same time. Uh, obviously very different music, but a similar phenomenon, just this kind of homespun, very unique thing, a totally different take on rock or if if we're talking about those replacements and stuff or, or prints with, with funk and, and dance music and r&b and so all of a sudden there's a spotlight on our weird little town and um it was great because it made you kind of believe something could happen for you you know yes. if you if you put yourself out there and put yourself in the world but no with prince i mean you know if you'd be hanging uptown i don't know if you're familiar with prince's songs but there's a Area Minneapolis called Uptown. Yeah. Now, in in his songs, it's this kind of magical place where everyone gets together and dances. That's not what it was. But um, <laughs> it, it, there there were you know little boutique stores and stuff like that. And, and you know somebody would come running in and be like, "Prince is down at Rudolph's Barbecue," and everybody would just start running, you know. And yeah. maybe maybe you'd see a little purple boot disappear into a limousine or something. But <laughs> never 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 really had any any run-ins with him per se. Yeah, I just, uh, you know, I, you hear people, you know, he was so elusive, kind of like, like you'll hear his tales or Bill Murray, but like, I just remember the last one I ever heard was Jimmy Fallon talking about him inviting him to play ping pong, like at Susan Sarandon's or something, and I was like, yeah. you know, I was like, maybe maybe you had <laughs> something similar like that. <laughs> no, well, maybe, I think the closest we got, I was in kind of a funk band, we were, we were more modeled on kind of the wilder side of like funkadelic uh, kind of like a lot of Hendrixy solos and screaming and stuff. And yeah. he was, Prince was starting to have concert series out at Paisley Park, which is this complex out there. And, and we got there, and there were probably ten people in the audience. And you're playing on the soundstage, which is built for him to do his films on and stuff with like conveyor belts and all this crazy stuff. And so we're, we turned on all the belts and we're doing our stupid show. And all of a sudden, the sound just goes off, and his voice comes over the loudspeaker. It's like everyone out. <laughs> so I don't know if it was Prince. I don't think it was, but yeah. uh, we got definitely got thrown out of Paisley Park. That's wow. as close as we got. Yeah. <laughs> Not time for pancakes and basketball. <laughs> yeah, that's, that wasn't in the offing, sadly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, next thing. Now you went to Harvard. I did. Yeah. Man, I've never known anybody smart enough to go. I've never talked to anybody or, or associated with somebody from Harvard. That just blew my mind. 
Mm-hmm. Now, did you study music there? Did that hone your music, or, or, or what was your time there at such a prestigious place? Uh, well, I can just dispel that, first of all. It, every nerd who you think went there, went there. So <laughs> it's not as... It's it's not as socially uh, <laughs> dazzling as one might imagine, but um, uh, I did not study music. I studied uh, American, basically American literature. Uh, oh, awesome! And uh, I didn't really. I played a lot of music in junior high and high school and bands and stuff. I was a bass player and a singer, um, but I didn't. I it, college just took up so much time, and um, I, I just kind of it was a good time just to become more of a fan. I would go see bands all the time, Boston, Cambridge, and, and great great venues. Everybody came through from, you know, indie to blues to jazz. Like I saw so many concerts, but, um, no, I, I really just concentrated on, on studying and, uh, and, uh, writing. I, I really wanted to be a, a creative writer. Um, uh-huh. and then, you know, in the summers when I would go back to Minneapolis, I'd get back together with bandmates and play and stuff like that. But that, yeah, school was really just kind of school. It wasn't, wasn't that sexy. I did, um, I was able to uh, be a member of the Harvard Lampoon, which is their humor magazine, yeah. um, and that's a that was a hilarious experience, and that was yeah. well, well worth it. You and Conan O'Brien, right? Wasn't he a part of that? Conan was one of the presidents. Yeah, all kinds of, all kinds of people came out of there. John that's Updike. Cool. Oh wow! <laughs> How cool is that? That's way more cool than uh, anything I could have. <laughs> yeah, no, no Harvard here in Middle Tennessee, but that's yeah, you know, it always fascinates me, but. Um, uh, final question. Like I said, thanks for talking to me, and, and I can't wait for the world to get to hear this album. But I, I, I noticed that you guys, you know, and you, you played five continents in every state, but Alaska. What, what's, why is Alaska so elusive? There's something. <laughs> I just, uh, it's, it's not really on the way to anything, um, <laughs> and so it, it has to be this kind of perfect timing when you're already on the west coast, and then it, it's interesting. Like I, I know other bands who played up there. And and they will, they'll pay big money to lure people up there because nobody, you know, the only you have to be on your way to Russia, really, or you yeah. know. So um, I think they're just so hungry for music, um, but and and it just takes so long to get there, and it's just not always cost effective. Um, but we've I've I've heard tell that we've had a couple offers over the years with different bands to go there, and it just logistically just never quite works out. And I think that in Alaska, they're used to hearing that. It's like, oh, it won't work out? Okay, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, but it's a place I'd love to go. I've never been even personally. I, I would just, I'd love to see it. But, um, yeah, it would be something to take in. I haven't either. Uh, my main uh, attraction is like there's, there's certain places you can go and actually feed bald eagles, so I think that would be kind of cool. Yeah, right, right. But, uh, I just it was mentioned a few times and I was like, what is wrong with Alaska? They just don't appreciate good music or what, what's going on over there? So well, it's funny. I mean, it took us years and years and years to hit every state, but basically there is, you know, it's sad to say, but there is flyover country. So when you get to, let's say you get to Chicago and you finally make it to Minneapolis, there's not much between Minneapolis and Seattle. You know, you got Billings and and so you you don't really hit South or North Dakota. You, you know, it, it's uh, yeah. It's it's all about uh, routing, I guess. It's not personal. Yeah. No, I understand. Yeah, no, I can totally see that. Also on the podcast this week, we have got Paul Harris, a.k.a. Digger Cleverly of the Bluegrass Supergroup. 
the Cleverleys. They're going to be uh, they're making a Puckett's tour. They'll be at Puckett's in Franklin, Tennessee, on March 11th, and then they'll be at Puckett's downtown Columbia, Tennessee, on Thursday, March 12th. Got to talk to Paul out of character, uh, well, who wasn't portraying Digger Cleverly, which is a hilarious persona. Talking about how he got his beginnings in stand-up to um, his musicianship. Uh, the Cleverleys are actually a fine band of fine musicians and artists and vocalists and they do parody songs like of um, they do blue they do milkshake <laughs> they do party rock anthem um, a lot of cool cool songs that they do a bluegrass spin on it just a lot of talent there really enjoyed talking to him looking forward to that concert so here's an interview with paul harris right now here we go i've been a fan forever and first time i caught you guys we're probably talking 2013 you were on Larry's Diner, and you said something about Starbucks, but you said Starbucks, and it just—I always I remembered that. It was like the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. So, yeah, that was a good deal for us. We always loved doing Larry's, and uh, and that's right when we first kicked the Cleverly's off. That's when we first started. So yeah, that was a good boost for us. It was, you know, and then you know, from Walk Like an Egyptian just went viral, and it's just the coolest thing since sliced bread, and. Just glad you you know you're still doing it and you know last year had a new uh, collection and array of songs and 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 then what threw me for a loop you guys did uh, what was it seldom seen and just nailed it man and beautiful just good uh, kudos to that what made you decide to do that that particular song well I'm the seldom seen is one of my favorite all time vocal groups um, and I've loved all variations of that group um, they've always stayed true to that. If you listen to their vocals, it's just, there's so so much honesty in it. Yeah. It's just a rawness. And, you know, uh, perfection uh, to a T. And, uh, I, you know, it's just, that's one of the songs that always really uh, suck me in every time, and all their songs do, but that's one of them that really sucks me in every time I hear them sing it, so... You know, this record was kind of a, a tribute to a lot of songs and music that we love, and um, and that's one that I, I definitely wanted to... I, I, and I said after the last album, the next album I'll have that song on there. And so we did, and it's, it's actually it's been, a, it's been a big hit for us live for uh, several years, and then to put it on the record, a lot of people love it. So I'm glad that you like it. Oh man, I love it. I, I I was I was glad to hear it. what threw me for a loop. I got so excited. Like I said, <clears throat> living out here in Columbia and seeing that you guys were coming to our local Puckets. You know, of course, I I, yeah. I went to YouTube immediately and saw where you did some Puckets videos and saw that song. And just when you're accustomed to the, you know, which is I love the I love the parody songs and how they're arranged. It's, it's brilliant. But when I heard that and it was stripped down because it, it just surprises you because it's so you guys did it so remarkably it just i bet i listened to it about seven or eight times on on loop there on uh on my little uh device uh i sound like a hundred year old man spotify <laughs> when i first heard it i just thought it was fantastic so oh man I, i'm glad you love it we try to do that in every show give everybody a little nugget you know and and it's also and people like that people like that we will we will give them a, a sure enough bluegrass nugget every now and again but to the people who say that, you know, we're just a novelty group and people that haven't never really seen our live show don't get 
just how well the guys can pick and play and sing. Mm-hmm. And um and then, you know, I you know, I I'm responsible for most of the of the comedic aspects of the show. But yeah. I always try to surround myself with as good of players as I can possibly get because I want that little layer of it. I want people to walk away going, you know what? That's not what I expected, you know? Yeah. I, I expected that to be cheesy and quirky, and it wasn't, it wasn't that. It was, you know, the the comedy is... is um, uh, is it's good. People enjoy it, but the picking is just that kind of icing on the cupcake that people go, "Man, those guys can really play." Yeah, I, I love hearing people say that. I appreciate you saying that too. Yeah, well, what I like about it, being a musician and a lover of the art of bluegrass, like I said, we were discussing, uh, you know, spending quite a bit of time on Arno Road <laughs> there in Franklin. Uh, I was raised on bluegrass and, and you know, uh, Gatlinburg style music and all that, and. Uh, yes, the picking's there on point, and, and then as a guy that loves music like I do, I love the fact that you have turned these contemporary pop songs or modern pop songs into bluegrass, because that's hard to do. Like, that milkshake song does not have any tie-ins with, like, <laughs> traditional bluegrass music. It takes a lot of talent to, to harmonize like that on that song, and you have to be a real true lover of the craft of bluegrass to really appreciate that and and like i said i'm just a fan because i love music and and you guys just got it going on man i i appreciate that and um i don't think a lot of people give bluegrass a chance um because if you do if you scratch the surface you'll see um the incredible technique of it and not anybody can play bluegrass you have to you have to have great timing. Yep. You have to have um, you have to have a, a great uh, sense of harmony and melody, and um, so it's it's not a, it's not a music that just anybody can play. It's overlooked by a lot of people because it, it's not mainstream enough for a lot of people. And I think because it does involve a lot of technique, and you've got to be you've got to be really really good. Uh, and very musical to be able to pull it off and pull it off well, which is one of the things that I've always loved about bluegrass music. Yeah. Um, so the, you know, um, I, I've, I've only, very few people that are into bluegrass music have have uh, kind of turned their nose up at what we do. There's been we've been really embraced by the bluegrass community, and that's um, and uh, that's a blessing to us. Um, but we've had very few people that, that go, well, that ain't the way that Bill and Earl and, and uh, Lester would have done it. And I don't, I believe that's exactly how they would have done it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it's a, it's a, you know, they were being innovative when they came up with the format for the bluegrass uh, genre. And they're, you know, so um, to just play what they played and play the songs that they played and how they played it, I honestly don't think you're doing justice to them by doing that. Yeah. um, I agree. Uh, uh, Every every artist you said, with the exception of Bill Monroe, because if you look back deep enough, Ricky Skaggs even said Bill Monroe thought he owned 
bluegrass is just how he was. He thought, you know, like when uh, uh, Jimmy King or whoever left, he thought they were stealing his music. But the rest of the guys like Lester Flatt and Earl Scruggs, they'd go out and jam with the Grateful Dead, or like you said, or try to spread it to make everybody enjoy it. And um, But, yeah, no, I agree with you. Uh, in order for it to be appealing and to keep going and not just be at a standstill and be stagnant, you know, there's only so many times you can hear one band play Rocky Top. You know what I mean? Yes. And I'm not insulting Rocky Top. I like Rocky Top, but I'm just saying. Everybody got... loves Rocky Top. Yeah. But... <laughs> <laughs> there's only, and you know from playing that that's probably one of the most requested songs there ever there ever was. But yeah. But who can honestly who can do it justice like Bobby did? You know, yeah. And Sonny did. Who could do that? Yeah. Uh, no one can. I mean. And, and uh, when they got to singing, it sounded like they had a clothesline pin on there. You know what? <laughs> for the hey, for the longest time, I thought that was a woman singing that, and, and I'm embarrassed. I, that's the first time I ever admitted that just now. Um, and Ruby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's it. But um, you know, you you guys are are trying to appeal to everybody, and, and I've just been on board and a fan for years. Like I said, excited you're coming to this little neck of the woods. Uh, and how many pucks have you guys hit up already? You know, we played um, we played the one in Murfreesboro and the one in Chattanooga, and uh, we're, we're our plan is to do all of them. And I think I think we've got all of them all of them booked. And tickets are selling out really fast. Oh um, yeah, no doubt. It's just you know we um, we want we love Puckett's brand. And they love what we do, and so we're just trying to figure out things, and um, and uh, do a few experiments together. And this was one of them, and uh, it's really worked out. I mean, we got even for the Columbia and Franklin shows that are coming up. I think they're the 11th and 12th, I believe, is when they are. Uh, yeah, yeah, 11th, yeah, 11th and Franklin, and then 12th. You'll be down here in the Mule Capital, over here close to where I'm living now. Uh, so that's that's awesome. And then, you know, of course, uh, the, when I was growing up, which is I'm, you know, late 30s, uh, the only the puckets we had was that one in Leaper's Fork, and it wasn't nothing to what it's grown to today. So, yeah, yeah. Now there's uh, now there's like uh, half a dozen of them. Yeah, got one downtown Nashville. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, that's just awesome. It's a great venue, like I said, to get something good to eat and relax and listen to some music. So um, another thing I wanted to ask you, I saw on your one of your uh, social media pages, so you're doing stand-up comedy as well. Have you been doing that a long time, or is that just something you just started? No, I've actually, that's been my living since 1994. Oh, my gosh. Is, uh, is stand-up. So I started doing stand-up in... Um, you know, in the 80s when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And um, in 94, I moved to Branson, Missouri. And um, at that time, Branson was exploding. There was a lot of theaters, a lot of a lot of, uh, of, of music stars out of Nashville was moving there and having, and so I, I started opening up for those people and then started uh, working in the theaters in town and eventually got my own show. And I had a, a country band and a bluegrass band and my and then doing stand up comedy and then um and then I moved to Nashville in two thousand and six 
uh-huh. and uh, started touring then. Yeah. And uh, that's that's one about 2008 is when I come up with the idea for the Clay release. And we didn't actually, I didn't put the band together and start touring until 11 or 11 or 12. Uh-huh. I did my first showcase in, in Nashville in 2011. And there was there was 12 people, and um, 10 of them we brought with us. <laughs> and it was at a... It was at um at uh twelfth uh, and Porter. Yeah. And so we did that show and that led to another showcase and now, you know, we're selling out shows in, in Nashville and uh it's it's amazing of you know of um just how how much it's grown, especially in the last three or four years. Uh, yeah. Since since we settled in the Middle Tennessee area, it's so much easier for us to tour and to create here that we've been able to really kind of springboard it, and it's it's been doing really well ever since. Oh yeah, no, I, I'm with you there because here in in the, even in the vicinity of Music City, everybody's neighbor knows somebody that does something with music. Yes. Yeah. I remember a few years back being at Walmart with a brand new puppy, and Phil Everly was in the dog aisle talking about it. I was like, "Are you Phil Everly?" And he was like, "Yeah." I was like, "Wow!" I didn't picture the first time I met you, we'd be talking about a dog and what kind of uh, prey I'm about to get him, you know. <laughs> but um, uh, one thing I was going to credit to you, one thing that makes it so brilliant from a person that that's a fan as far as music and comedy is that. Uh, I like how you're the the, the comic relief, and you, instead of just having one straight man, it just seems like everybody else is the straight man, and it's got to be hard for them not to bust up sometimes when you're getting on a rant because it's some of the funniest stuff I've ever heard in my life. Thanks, man. You know, it it that's probably one of the funnest parts of of it is trying to bust them up. Yeah. And then and then when I get them, and the audience sees that because you can tell just how hard they're working at doing that deadpan. Yeah. Um what I call the darlings look. Oh yeah, yeah. On their face, you know, and uh uh every once in a while, man, I can really get them if I throw something a uh, little bit left to center at them. Yeah. And the audience catches on to that and that those are some of our best moments, you know. Yeah, I, I like it's like a Saturday night live feel like I was watching a video, uh, you guys on Daily and Vincent uh, the other day. Like I said, thank God we've got YouTube. Everything's there. <laughs> you're you're talking about that one guy's uh, metal tongue or whatever, his electronic tongue battery. And when you said you found it behind the refrigerator, I I wouldn't have made it. I couldn't have kept my I couldn't have kept my expression. I'd have went nuts. That was some of the funniest stuff I've ever heard in my life. But Darren Vincent yeah. is one of the best laughers that I've ever seen. Yeah, and a lot of people are like, "Is he putting on?" No, that's really what he does. He really yeah. falls out on the floor. I mean, he's a guy that'll just fall out on the floor laughing. Yeah, and uh, uh, he's he's a lot of fun to 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 do comedy around for sure. Speaking of him, and is it well? It's a tie into him, and I couldn't believe it. They just made his sister a member of the Opry. Now I thought they'd have probably done that twenty years ago. You know, it was a that was a surprise to me too, Josh. I when I heard that, yeah, I was like, "Well, isn't she already?" Yeah, and, isn't that uh, wild? Yeah, I'm I'm happy for her. Yeah, um, you know, she's pretty good people, and and so is her band. So I'm extremely happy for her, and 
and um, but I, I would have thought that she would have that would have happened ten years ago. Honestly, yeah, that's me. Like it threw me for a loop seeing that, and then just like <clears throat> you know your comedian aspect. Uh, Killer Bees performed on the Opry for the first time like a month ago. Really? You remember? You know who Killer Bees is, don't you? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I've uh, seen him a few times live. I've actually worked with Killer a couple times. Yeah, I just think it's just some people. It's like I don't know when the Opry changed hands if people just got all clicky with folks. But it's like Killer Bees just did the Opry for the first time. Yeah. You know, just just, just uh, I don't know. It's beyond beyond any pay grade I've ever had. But you know, just being a a spectator, I was just like, man, that just seems so bizarre. It seems like though that that the new format that they're starting to to do a little bit more comedy there. Yeah, <clears throat> I got to talk with and went to see him perform. There's a there's a cat that's been at it for a few years, old Dusty Slay. He got to do. I think he's pretty sharp. Dusty's cool, man. I've yeah. I've talked to Dusty a couple times. I actually met him in a in the airport going to New York City <laughs> when uh, we were on the same flight, and uh, he was going to do the Tonight Show for the first time. Oh, how cool is that? And um, and at and was supposed to be on his show. He does a show at at Zany's uh, once a month, I think, and he brings on different music acts and stuff, and so. We've talked a couple times about me being on there, but it hasn't worked out with schedule wise. So, but Dusty, man, he's one of my favorites. I yeah, really he's like him. Dude, I love his style. He's just, it's just so easy, but it's just funny. It's just like, man, why didn't I think of that? That kind of funny, you know? Yeah, just great. And 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 what I like about him is that he told me, you know, uh, kind of like in conversation that. Uh, when he started, you know, he had a different look, and he said it was just you never believe what a difference made when he just put that old trucker ball cap on. Yeah. You know, and just started talking like a good old boy. And I think when you strip it down and you just become relatable, I think that's really when it shows. Because he said, I didn't change my speed or my format. He said, I just added a prop on the top of my head. And uh-huh. it just, I was just like, wow, you know, you never know. Because uh, studying comedy and everything, it's like you have to find a niche. Everybody has to have something. Like Dan Whitney, Larry the Cable Guy, he don't sound nothing like Larry the Cable Guy in real life. No, um, he don't. Yeah, and that threw me for a loop first time I heard him talk. So, um, but uh, you know, it's just it's a beautiful thing. It's it's an art in its own right, just like anything else. Like you know, you're talking about musicianship and bluegrass, where rock music or country music kind of lies heavily on the lead guitar and everybody else falls into place. In bluegrass, every person is a lead player to some degree. Everybody brings something to the table and has a time to shine. Even even the upright bass player has his own spot. So that's what really, that's where the true talent is because you don't usually see more than one guitar player. You know, you've got one of each instrument. Everybody's just throwing down to the best of their capabilities, and that's the beauty of it. It is the beauty of it, and you can set up anywhere. If you got guys with you know, or people with with uh, instruments. I mean, you can wad up under a shade tree. Yeah. Or you can wad up at the high school and do a little do a little set for the high schoolers. You know, you can you can um, you know if you got instruments uh, and pickers, and you can have a jam, and uh, that's one of the appeals to it too. Is that it's it's a way to meet people. Um, and it's a way to relate to people, you know. I love sitting around and 
at a jam and and um, just watching the people come up and add and contribute and stuff. People that are really into it, you know, it's a lot of fun to see yeah. that kind of camaraderie at yeah. festivals and stuff. It's the best. Bluegrass folks are the finest on earth. I've never met one I didn't like. Uh, but uh, what were you going to say? I'm sorry. No, they really are. You're exactly yeah. right. I was. What came up to my mind is like one instrument I would love to master is how old Briscoe Darling got all that tunes out of that blow jug. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. You got to have your spit right. You know? Yeah. It's gotta you got to take a, take a couple pulls off that jug before you go to blowing on it. You'll get yeah. your spit right. Yeah, that was one of the greatest uh, storylines ever. That old man would open that door to that hotel room. You see that one old man, and they just, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, did anybody, uh, I want to throw this out here. Did, did, are you guys all safe from the tornadoes? Is anybody affected, or is everybody in your camp good to go? Yeah, yeah everybody's safe. Uh, it came close to a couple of guys um, live over around East Nashville. Um one of our guys lived at Five Points until just a little bit ago, and he bought a house and moved out of there. Uh-huh. And so uh, that neighborhood just got decimated that he lived in. But uh, but he's he yeah we're we're all fine and blessed and uh, and just trying to figure out ways that we can help the community. You know, there's a there's a lot of places to donate and stuff, but and I think. I think uh, the donations are pouring in, and I, I think they need hands-on, just people with chainsaws and trailers and trucks and and resources, you know. So it's going to take a while, but uh, we're each trying to figure out our little ways that we can contribute as much as we can to help our community, you know. Yeah, I hear you. I uh, unfortunately working working these weeks, but I'm, I'm I'm definitely planning on heading out there this weekend to see what I can get into for sure. Are you uh, are you going to be at her show in Columbia? I am. That's what I was about to say. You know, I'm going to be there. Absolutely. I'm bringing my granddad. Bless his heart. He's 80 years old, and the reason I love bluegrass music, and he is tickled to death to get away from my grandmother for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, uh, my grandparents are, uh, you know, they're 80, both of them, and uh, you know, still going strong and everything. But they're to that point now where you know both retired and getting on up there in age i think they spend way too much time together and he don't like to go out like he used to but anytime i mention some bluegrass he's he's all about it he's he's gung-ho <laughs> yeah well you better you better uh, uh give him a little more background before y'all get there he, uh, he i did I, expecting rocky top yeah well i did <laughs> I, I i i i explained to him best i could see he is the one like I said introduced me to Run C and W back in the day and oh okay and, so and all cool. the parody stuff but you know yeah. being being from you know the 1940s I explained uh, you know all this music is like contemporary and, and he understood he he he's got it he 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 he'll, he'll love the uh, the music aspect of it even if you don't know the songs and they they tie in so well and he will definitely be all about the comedy you talk about a man that loves to chuckle so he he'll be all in it. What's his name? His name's Bill. Bill Belton. Bill, okay. Yeah. He was a I'll, good, good I'll cat. I'll try to remember to do a shout-out for old Bill. Oh, he, that tickled him to death. He, he'd be tickled. I couldn't even tell you how much he liked that. Yeah, he'll be there with me with bells on. <laughs> Thank you. 
And that wraps up the 40th episode. I can't believe I made it that far. My ADHD-driven mind is going haywire right now. Um, Thank you for listening to the Josh Belcher Uncharted Podcast. Special thanks to my guest this week, Paul Harris, a.k.a. Digger Cleverly of the Bluegrass Group, the Cleverly's Atomic Atala Hassan, lightweight Nashville boxing champion. Go get on Instagram, become his fan, like him, watch him move up the ranks become the greatest lightweight in the history of the sport. Uh, Mike Madison, vocalist from the Tedeschi Trucks Band. New solo album, Afterglow. Lots of great guests. Thank them. Uh, I'm very grateful to all of them for taking the time to talk to me on this little podcast. I truly love making it with every ounce of my heart and soul. Thoughts and prayers to all the tornado victim, victims. Like I said, go to do615.com if you want to uh, help. That's a very... Uh, a reliable website they keep it updated on information to how to help and show support to nashville which is nashville strong once again thank you so much for listening to my podcast from the bottom of my heart you could be doing anything and you're hanging out with me and i truly appreciate it because i love my little podcast if you keep listening to them i'm going to keep making them i made it to 40 nope <laughs> no sense in stopping now so um, if you know anybody you think would be a great guest have them hit me up josh belcher at hotmail And you remember, as always, I love you for you and where you're at in life. Uh, Peace be with you. God bless Nashville, Tennessee. Make sure you stand forever. Music City, USA, Nashville strong. You have a great week, and we'll catch you later on down the line. Thank you. Peace be with you. I'm out. Josh Belcher, Uncharted Podcast. Okay, I'm out now.